You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I'm going to be talking to you about something that I believe is absolutely critical, highly neglected in the medical community, and something that is very likely impacting you and your loved ones. And it is the subject of fatty liver. It has recently come to my attention that the lead singer of Smash Mouth has died as of today. He was in hospice. He was struggling with fatty liver and alcoholism. And I knew immediately when I heard that he was in hospice what was going on because I saw him, I think a year or so ago, ranting fairly incoherently on stage Um and get, I think leaving stage or getting booted off stage. And he has always been kind of a, you know, portly guy, but he's definitely gotten chubbier in the past few years. And I say all that because that's the one of the number one risk factors for fatty liver is obesity and type two diabetes. And so when you combo that with alcohol and especially alcoholism and chronic alcohol use, you're really looking at a problem. And I think that this is going to come out as absolutely what killed him. Um, His name was Steve Harwell, and he was lead singer Smash Mouth. And if you guys, I always think of Smash Mouth, I always think of Shrek because my daughter loves Shrek. And that that series of movies introduced my daughter to so much good music. So um, that really got me thinking, I completely shifted gears on what I was going to talk about today. And I thought, this is so critical that we talk about fatty liver. The other person that's been on my mind a lot lately that, uh, God, it makes me tear up because it's so unfortunate, was George Michael, who I obviously am a huge fan of, huge fan, Um, grew up with Wham. The Wham documentary recently came out and was so spectacular, such a good such a good Netflix documentary, uh, really fun. And it's, I, I tear up because, oh, it's so silly. (laughs) That's the music I use to get myself out of a funk. So on Christmas day, uh, 2016, I found out that George Michael died and I was devastated. I mean, I was devastated. I cried. And I know my husband thinks it's so stupid. He calls it icon worship, but it's not. It's just, I was so sad to hear that he had passed away and he was so young. He was in his 50s. And, you know, George Michael was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man and such a huge sex symbol and such a amazing icon for that time of, it was just a great time. You know, it was the 80s, it was the 90s. He made beautiful videos with supermodels. I obviously didn't know him, but he struggled. And in doing so, in his latter years, he became a recluse and he stayed in his house all the time because he gained a massive amount of weight and he drank a lot from just, I mean, this is anecdotal from what I've gathered. I've really researched this because I was a huge fan and I was like, what the heck happened? How, like, how, how, how did, you know, how did George Michael die? Like such a fit, healthy man. Well, it turns out in the end, he wasn't at all. And I recently saw some photos that were released of him in his last year. And he was really overweight. He was eating at a restaurant. He didn't look himself at all. And just from what folks were saying, he was embarrassed to even share um, 
with the world, how he had, how his body had changed. And so, I mean, that's why I tear up because it's just a sad ending to, I'm the guy was a genius. I don't care if you like pop music or not. The guy was a genius and had such an incredible voice and was such an incredible musician. And if you look back at old footage from the eighties, he was so excited to be, just to be a part of the music scene, doing what he was doing. Like he, in every video, if you look at Live Aid, if you look at any of the duets he did, if you look at, um, you know, the Christmas song that they did, the, the, the Band-Aid Christmas song, he brought so much joy and smiles. Like every time I see footage of any of that stuff, you can always, first of all, you can always hear his voice. It's very distinct. It's amazing. The guy had power in his voice. But two, you could just see this joy, this youthful exuberant joy that he brought. And that's why I always loved him. So anyway, we've lost Steve Harwell, we've lost George Michael, and we lost them both to metabolic syndrome, which is something I talk about all the time. And the manifestation of that was fatty liver. And when you combine fatty liver due to metabolic dysfunction with alcohol, along with probably some, you know, pills, Tylenol, pharmaceuticals, what have you, whether they're illicit drugs or they're prescribed pharmaceuticals, you get really bad outcomes. In fact, fatty liver is the number one cause of liver transplants at this point, specifically for women. So we have to talk about this. And there's two types of fatty liver I want to point out. There's alcoholic fatty liver and there's non-alcoholic fatty liver. But I would gander to say that we should just, they've recently changed the name and I'm glad they've changed it to metabolic associated fatty liver, which is really what it is. It doesn't matter if alcohol caused it or non, there's the non-alcoholic um, fatty liver and then there's the alcoholic fatty liver. And people really want to get into this like, tit for tat. Oh, you know, it, it it's irrelevant. They're both induced by metabolic syndrome and metabolic processes going awry inside the body. And that is why we have the manifestation of fat infiltrating the liver. And eventually that becomes inflammatory. And so there's a progression of basically NAFL, which is non-alcoholic fatty liver or alcoholic fatty liver, into NASH, which is non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, which is basically non-alcoholic fat-induced hepatitis, which is an inflammation in the liver. And you get these fatty globules that are can get quite sizable inside the liver with this fatty infiltrate. And eventually those collapse and you get cirrhosis. And once you get to cirrhosis, that's non-reversible. People think it is, but it's not. Once you have ha- once you have or have had cirrhosis, you're in big trouble, whether now or later, because the next progression of that is hepatocellular carcinoma, which is liver cancer. And this is really common, you guys. I rarely saw a patient who wasn't exhibiting some symptoms of fatty liver. It's really common. And you know, I talk about metabolic health all the time. I talk about waist circumference and some other things we're going to talk about today. Again, I'm going to just keep renewing or reviewing this information because it's so important that you guys understand it because people are dying from this and they're saying, oh, they died from heart disease. Well, yeah, they died from heart disease induced by metabolic syndrome. And they, and then there's a liver failure along with that usually in the you know, when you hear about the autopsy results, like in George Michael's case, it was dilated cardiomyopathy with myocarditis and fatty liver. What is that? That was per his autopsy a few months later. Dilated cardiomyopathy is where the heart enlarges. That's cardiomyopathy, the muscle 
muscles of the heart enlarge with myocarditis, which is inflammation around the heart and fatty liver. Now, who's to say that there wasn't drug use involved earlier in life? I mean, those things can come back and catch up with you too. So who knows? I mean, he was a rock star. He was traveling the world. I'm not suggesting anything. I just you know, it was the eighties. (laughs) So who knows what put the load on the heart, but all of these conditions are being driven and exacerbated by metabolic syndrome. And it's ultimately leading to livers that are failing, which is terrible. So you essentially pickle your liver and there's some early signs I'll talk about. Most people don't know they have it. They live with it silently. It's been way, way normalized. I remember being in practice initially back in 2008 was when I first became licensed. And I remember having patients come in regularly with a letter from their doctor that they'd gotten in the mail saying, all your lab markers were normal. You've got a little fatty liver. And I'm like, a little fatty liver? (laughs) Like, that's a bad thing. That's really bad. But nobody was being told it was bad. And then they would talk to their doctor about it. And their doctor would say, oh, it's, it's really common. Probably the doctor themselves had fatty liver. And I'm going to give you some examples of people that you would never guess have fatty liver. It's not just obese people. It's not just people who you would think are eating uh, maybe poorly or maybe their adipocytes are filling up with fat. It's it's a whole range. I'll give you some examples of where I've seen fatty liver. Again, throw in some alcohol use, especially consistent alcohol use. It's usually more chronic, consistent alcohol use. Uh, But that could be somebody who drinks wine regularly. And then throw in some Tylenol on top of it because your joints hurt or you got a headache and voila, we have liver issues. Um, And most of these folks are who are being told they have mild fatty liver and, you know, you're a lot of people in your, my family have it. They would tell me, oh, they would just like normalize it for themselves. And, and I would try to let them know there's nothing normal or safe about fatty liver. There's nothing about this that's okay or good. We have to get this in check. We have to get it under control. 30%, actually 30 plus percent of globally Global humans have fatty liver. Kids have fatty liver now because of the obesity epidemic and the food supply. It's the high fructose corn syrup and the ultra processed carbs that are really, really to blame here. So 30% of us have it globally, according to the Fatty Liver Foundation. There's the one in four rule. So one in four people with fatty liver disease will develop NASH, which is the fatty hepatitis. And of those, one in four people with NASH will develop cirrhosis, which is severe scarring where these fatty infarcts crush down and you end up with a liver that's all scarred up, which often will progress into liver cancer, like I said. Among women, it's the most common reason for liver transplants, as I mentioned. The National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey recently, this came out, an analysis of data from 32,726 adults who participated in that study revealed that overall non-alcoholic fatty liver disease rose from 16%, only one six, 16% in 1988 to 37% in 2018. That's an increase of 131% in just a few decades. We are in trouble, you guys. This is the most common cause of the need for liver transplant. This, this is it. This is the number one cause reason for need of liver transplants. We are not going to have enough of them. And in certain countries, if you haven't taken the juice, you know, the 
intervention for the CUFID, then you can't even get your transplants. But and here's some really staggering statistics. Among white Americans, the rate in 20, I'm sorry, in 1988 was 15%, which rose to 35% in 2018. That's the 133% increase. That's crazy. In African Americans, the rate was 11% in 1988. So they were doing better than us in 1988. It rose to 25% in 2018, which is 127% increase. They're still doing better than us. In Mexican Americans, this is very concerning. Um, the rate of fatty liver disease was 36% in 1988, and it rose to 58% in 2018. 58% of Mexican Americans in 2018 have fatty liver disease. That's over half. And I'm sure that all of these rates and all of these different groups are significantly worse since lockdowns. I, I would bet my money on it. That's an increase of 61%. There is a higher prevalence of genetic mutation that increases the risk for this disease in Hispanic patients. So that's to be noted. And you'll hear about this being thrown around as a genetic issue. So there are some genetic propensities, but I think it's more of like a genetic propensity towards fatty liver infiltrate due to metabolic syndrome. In Asian and Eastern Indian cultures, very concerning. So first of all, China and India have higher rates of diabetes, type 2 diabetes, than we even do here in the U.S., which is crazy. Uh, it's no wonder that the U.S. can't... Uh, the U.S., China, and India did terrible with COVID, right? Why? It was no surprise to me because we're really all metabolically unsound in all three countries. But if you're of normal weight or like seemingly normal weight and you're of Asian descent or you're of Eastern Indian descent, which is kind of, you know, we can, they've, they've been clumped together as Asian, but it's a, it's a phenotype, I should say. If you're packing a little weight in your midsection, it's actually even more dangerous than if you were Caucasian and packing the same weight. So fatty liver disease is even more dangerous in Asian populations. And this is to be noted because we'll see rapid, from what I've understood, you'll see a rapid progress in disease. You'll see a rapid progression in cardiovascular disease and other things that are associated with this. So it's really important in particular, if you're any kind of healthcare professional, or if you are of Asian descent, that you really, really heed what I'm saying because fatty liver is even worse. This skinny fat phenomenon, this we call it tofi, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. I used to be tofi. It is folks who have that phenotype and are struggling with fatty liver are actually have much higher rates of mortality and death. So it's bad. Worse outcomes metabolically than white folks. If you're of a descent where folks are generally fairly lean, build, phenotypically lean, getting a little bit of weight in your midsection is even more dangerous. And I don't care what color your skin is. If you like, if you come from a family of really lean folks and you start packing on some midsection pounds, you know, right in the waist area, you're going to have worse, in my opinion, clinically. I get more concerned when I see a patient like that than someone who comes from a family who tends to have a little more adipose tissue. So if you're like the tall, skinny guy with a gut, bad bad omens for that guy, bad cardiovascular disease risk, bad liver, fatty liver disease risk, those are risk factors that I take very seriously. Then if somebody comes in who's maybe a stockier build who comes from a family line where people are maybe a little bit more heavy set. 
So just be aware of that. I am in that category. I'm a lean person. I'm built really lean. So when I start gaining weight in the midsection, I get very concerned and I obviously check things out. So how do you know if you have it? First of all, you just need to know if you have metabolic dysfunction. And if you do have metabolic dysfunction, which is close to 100% of Americans at this point. In 2018, it was over 94% of Americans had cardiometabolic dysfunction some version of it. So that might be from like very, very mild metabolic syndrome all the way up to type 2 diabetes, right? Somewhere in there, 94% of Americans fell. I, again, guarantee that rate is higher now in 2023. I guarantee it. There's no way lockdowns didn't, you know, lockdowns, according to surveys, lockdowns put like 25 to 40 pounds on people, at least Americans, doubled within one year of 2020 to 2021, the rate of juvenile type 2 diabetes, type 2, not juvenile diabetes, just type 2 diabetes in juveniles, <laughs> uh, doubled in one year because of lockdowns. So we're in big trouble. So if you have metabolic dysfunction, you very likely have some signals of fatty liver starting. So you're probably getting some marbling in your liver. And how do you know if you have metabolic dysfunction? I actually have a free guide you guys can download. I will put it in the show notes. It's always in the show notes. It's on my website as well. If you just go to drtina.com, it's the first button that you see that pops up. It's called the Assess Your Metabolic Health Guide. It's free. And what it is is the international diagnostic criteria for metabolic syndrome. It is not meant to be diagnostic. It is meant to be educational. But I designed it so that you could print it out and go have a conversation with your doctor about it. So if you have metabolic dysfunction, you very likely have some changes happening in your liver. And I've seen this, this is this is my clinical experience and my opinion. I've seen this with uh, every patient, almost every patient who came in my door who had metabolic dysfunction, which was the bulk of patients, had some version of it. And it might just be a glimmer, right? We're not talking full blown. People want things to be black or white. They don't like the nuance in the middle, but we're all on a spectrum here. A very mild metabolic dysfunction to severe. Most doctors won't call it when it's mild. They will ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Whereas I'm hypervigilant to the point of annoying people about it because the beginning glimmers of metabolic syndrome usually manifest as high blood pressure starts to creep up, maybe waist circumference along with that, blood sugar starts to creep up, you know, I slap a continuous glucose monitor on them and they're running a little bit high all day long, their average glucose is a little bit too high. These are all just glimmers, right? Maybe a little bit of uh, blood pressure medication they come in on, maybe a little bit of this or that, maybe a little bit of brain fog. These are all the beginning stages and signals of what's coming and what's coming is not good if we don't nip this in the bud. So I am hardcore about it. You for sure have fatty liver if you are very overweight and or you have type 2 diabetes. If you've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and or you're very overweight, you definitely have fatty liver infiltrate for sure. Go get tested. If you have high cholesterol, you probably have some fatty liver uh, issues happening. If you have high blood pressure, especially if you have a waist circumference, if you have a waist circumference over 35 inches for women and over 40 inches for men, and again, you can, I have resources on how to measure that specifically on my website inside my metabolic revamp toolkit. That's separate from the free guide, but it's an inexpensive toolkit that will give you the quick and dirty on all of this that you need to know. But when a patient would come in with mildly creeping up blood pressure along with the waist circumference, 
And if you want to get nitty gritty, those numbers I just gave you are the red flag numbers to me. Those numbers are too high already. Those numbers actually have been shown in studies, 35 inches for women, 40 inches for men. Those numbers have been shown in the studies to be significant risk factor for type 2 diabetes in the future, not just glimmers of metabolic dysfunction. I share those numbers because a lot of people freak out when I do. They're like, well, there's no way I could get below that. And it's like, you're already sitting in the red zone. So take that for what you will. But uh, if you want to get real nitty gritty, take your height in inches and divide it by half. That's your red flag number. Stay below that. Whatever that number is, stay below that. Not at it, below it. So if you've got a little bit of high blood pressure and your waist circumference is creeping up there, I can almost guarantee you have metabolic syndrome. And I can almost guarantee that you've got some fatty liver. Again, this is educational. I'm not diagnosing anyone, but it's worth having a conversation with your doctor if you fall into those categories. And then lastly, if you have high, tris, high triglycerides on labs, if your labs, most doctors will run a standard lipid panel on you and a standard comprehensive metabolic panel and a standard uh, complete blood count. And you can look at your comprehensive metabolic panel and you'll see your liver enzymes. And those might be creeping up that's a sign that your liver's active. It's not a sign that your liver's diseased. It's a sign that your liver's active. It's doing something. It's being taxed. It's being called upon more than it should. And if you have high triglycerides, especially if total triglycerides start to equal or come close to total cholesterol, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. That to me, I tell patients, you're pickling your liver. You're quite literally, I guarantee there's fatty liver infiltrate in there to some degree. And People don't want to hear it because I've had, uh, here, I'll give you some examples. So we talked about George Michael. He got really heavy. He was drinking probably, um, you know, probably wasn't exercising fatty liver. Steve Harwell from Smash Mouth, just go look at pictures of the guy, clearly was boozing. You could see it. He admitted to boozing and he uh, was heavy set, right? A big waist circumference. So here's some examples of folks who don't fit that bill. I had a a colleague in chiropractor college. He was Korean, really fit, martial art instructor, martial artist instructor, really, really fit. And he loved soda and he loved fast food. And that's pretty much what he lived off of. And his triglycerides were off the chart. He wasn't drinking alcohol, but he was drinking a lot of soda. But he his body composition was amazing. So this is, goes back to what I was saying. If you are of an ethic background that tends to run really lean, especially Asian cultures, and you start packing on a little bit of weight in the midsection, which he was getting a little fluff there, that's problematic. It's even more problematic. I will repeat, it's more problematic than if you were Caucasian. So get that checked out and get that in check. It's not that you have more wiggle room. You actually have less wiggle room. And it's that's just the way it is. It's just how phenotypically and genotypically we're built. So his triglycerides were off the chart. They were higher than his total cholesterol. And I was like, dude, you're pickling your liver. You got to get this under control. He cut out the soda. He was drinking a lot of vitamin waters as well, which I've seen this with people who consume high intake of artificial sweeteners. We don't have a ton of conclusive data on that. People want to argue with me about it. That's fine. But he was doing both and he had very high triglycerides and some fatty liver infiltrate. Another patient I had was a Romanian man. He was a physician himself. So he thought he 
knew what was up, but he didn't know anything about metabolic health. He was very lean. He didn't exercise hardly at all. He did some calisthenics, like uh, body weight stuff. He did some stretching, but he didn't lift weights really. And he, not that calisthenics isn't lifting weights, it's body weight, but he really wasn't doing much of anything. His circadian rhythm was all screwed up because he was a radiologist. So he was in the dark all the time and he worked all the time and he was really stressed out and he was on statins and he liked to drink alcohol. So his triglycerides came back sky high, which was an indicative of some fatty liver infiltrate happening. I also had a whole host of patients who were men and women in their 50s who were marathon runners, who loved to cycle, maybe like lots and lots of cycling. It's a thing in Portland to cycle out to wine country and drink wine all day and then cycle home. So they all had bellies and they all had basically prediabetes labs and fatty liver infiltrate. And you would never have guessed it because they were all quite lean otherwise. And then I would say the bulk of folks who had fatty liver on labs were your typical kind of uh, middle-aged kind of, I hate to use the word dumpy, but that's really what it comes down to. I, I get so dumpy so fast myself personally if I don't really stay on top of things. So I say that in relationship to me, but it's just kind of that like, meh, like you just kind of like fluff out, you know, because um, you're not really working hard on staying unfluffy. And that is a sign of insulin resistance to some degree. And they start to show up with fatty liver, especially if they like to bake and have, or drink soda or, you know, the diet Coke drinkers. I've seen a lot of fatty liver in the diet soda drinkers, like I said, with the artificial sweeteners. So who knows what that's about, but I saw it a lot. And just kind of that like middle-aged eating the standard American diet, not really paying attention to food intake, lots of carbohydrates, whether they're ultra refined or not, they might just be eating sandwiches every day, you know, and their body is not having it because they're not strength training and they're not lifting weights. And that muscle is what offsets a lot of this. We'll get to that. So uh, a good example, another one is a guy that I went to high school with. He was really good looking in high school. He was a baseball player, really tall, fit, handsome, good looking guy, really good looking guy in college. And then something happened. I, I don't know. I, I quit following him somewhere in my forties on Facebook, but he got pretty heavy and he like turned into your typical golf guy. You know, those golf guys, they've all got bellies. They all wear golf shirts and they all, uh, they like to wear their sunglasses backwards on their heads <laughs> and they all like to drink all day. They like to golf as a way for them to go day drinking, basically. Yeah, those guys. There's a lot of those guys that came out of my high school. And he would just show up on Facebook with like a can of soda in his hand, clearly glazed eyes from drinking all day. And he turned into such a jerk that I quit fall, I unfriended him. But he said something really snarky to me once on somebody else's feed. And I just wanted to be like, have fun with your fatty liver and diabetes. So it's not a good look. It doesn't age well. It's a fatty liver look, basically, and a low testosterone look. Are you in a never-ending cycle of making progress in your strength training, but then get sidelined by an injury? I know I was. Something happened to me in middle age when the hormones shifted, and it became evident to me that I could not keep training and supplementing the same as I did when I was in my 30s and early 40s. 
I followed the scientific data and had been hearing that branch chain amino acids were not all they were cracked up to be, but instead that a full profile of essential amino acids in the correct ratios were what was critical for optimal muscle protein synthesis. Essential amino acids are the building blocks of protein, which means your body uses them very efficiently to build lean muscle mass. I was intrigued and set out to learn more, and my research brought me to Keon. I started taking their amino acids every day for the past few months, and I'm hooked. I get a steady boost of energy that powers me through my mid-afternoon workout and for the rest of my day until dinner time. This is why Keon Aminos is so fundamental to my fitness. Backed by over 20 years of clinical research, clean, sugar-free, caffeine-free, and non-GMO, all nine essential amino acids your body needs in ratios scientifically proven to promote muscle protein synthesis. They come in a variety of delicious flavors or even capsules if the powder is not your jam. I'm loving using the aminos and getting stronger by the day. That's why I was so excited when I found out that Keon wanted to continue to sponsor my show because I've become a huge fan of the product. So if you're ready to get serious about up-leveling your strength game, check out Keon Aminos. To save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases, just go to getkeon.com forward slash Dr. Tina. That's G-E-T-K-I-O-N.com forward slash D-R-T-Y-N-A to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. Hey, functional and integrative healthcare professionals, listen up. I've got something just for you. My main business is actually coaching healthcare professionals on how to build out the online business of their dreams. However, being fully online can throw a wrench into efficient workflow when it comes to getting lab kits into your patient's hands in a timely manner. But I have found a brilliant solution for you. It's called Rupa Health, and it can help you save so much time in several different ways. And time is money after all. Simply sign up for free and you can have Rupa do all of the work for you. They can either ship lab kits directly to patients' homes, or you can get yourself set up with their latest service called Lab Shops. Lab Shops is so cool. It's essentially a storefront branded to you and your clinic where patients can shop for labs themselves. It's your shop, you decide what labs you offer, and Rupa does all the rest of the work. The best part in either case is that Rupa handles the money and you are alerted via an entirely automated system when the results are in. It's all inside one portal. No more logging into multiple portals or having to stock and ship kits out yourself. Lab Shops is also a great way to generate new clients off of social media because savvy patients are seeking out specialty labs and looking for astute practitioners like yourself to interpret them. This is a win-win situation for both patients and practitioners. You can check it out yourself by signing up at rupahealth.com. It only takes a few minutes to sign up and get rolling. Super easy platform to navigate. As a free Rupa member, you also get access Access to tons of clinical education, meal planning software, and so much more. That's rupahealth.com to get signed up and check it out. And be sure to tell them that Dr. Tina sent you. Another thing that caught my attention recently in June of 2023, NBC News posted an article and they were actually looking at that survey I shared, the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey. Uh, and their headline was rates of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease are soaring study finds. They start off by saying certain genes and metabolic disorders such as obesity, diabetes, and high blood pressure may raise the risk of the most common cause of liver disease. All right, so let's break that down. Certain genes. I love how they start it with certain genes. I think your genetic profile is the least concerning part of this. This is, in my opinion, 99.9% lifestyle induced. 
So we're going to leave genes out of it. Yes, there are certain groups of people that are going to be more genetically inclined to suffer from the impact of metabolic syndrome. But we're not going to say that genes are driving this because I'm so tired of hearing about obesity and metabolic syndrome and all these things being genetic. That's nonsense. It's, yeah, there might be a genetic propensity, but this is lifestyle induced. Not judging anyone because a lot of people don't even know. I had many, many patients in the Hispanic community who just didn't know that the, you know, traditionally they're eating a ton of corn, right? It's part, it's cultural. And I had to take them off tamales. It was just too much corn. There's a lot of corn happening in some of these dishes. These We're not talking just thin corn tortillas. We're talking a lot of corn. And that's driving this because a lot of this corn is genetically modified as well, right, guys? So we, we can't just, it's not just the food's fault. It's also the United States' fault. It's Monsanto's fault. There's a lot of faults here. Uh, but it's not just genes. So we have to look at what we're putting in our mouth regularly and the carbohydrate intake we're having. And then our exercise output but they go on to say, such as obesity, diabetes, and high blood pressure. I'm going to break that down even further. The diabetes and the obesity are driving each other, and the high blood pressure is a result of that. The high blood pressure doesn't cause fatty liver. The high blood pressure is a resulting symptom of the obesity, diabetes situation. The rates of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which can lead to life-threatening conditions, including cirrhosis and cancer of the organ, have been soaring over the past three decades, a new study finds. That was from this article on NBC News. So I was very happy to see that they were talking about this, but they really didn't give anybody any help. They kind of said, you know, eat more vegetables and exercise. That was, it, which is not terrible, but it's not great. So in 2020, they started talking about fatty liver as the non-alcoholic version as calling it metabolic associated fatty liver disease. But remember, I think both of the alcohol and the non-alcohol version are, there's a lot of overlap because there's a lot of people with metabolic induced fatty liver disease and or metabolic associated fatty liver disease who are drinking a lot of alcohol. So it's it's not one or the other. They're dri- the whole thing's driving the metabolic syndrome. And this article was called Metabolic Associated Fatty Liver Disease Addressing a New Era in Liver Transplantation. I mean, if that's not scary, I don't know what is. But the next time you go to your doctor and they say you have a little fatty liver disease and it's normal, I I want you to hightail it out of there and I want you to get on my website and I want you to download my free guide and make sure you're not dealing with some kind of metabolic syndrome. And then I want you to take that to a different doctor and have a conversation with them and get worked up. Probably a functional doctor or naturopathic doctor, somebody who knows more than just your traditional MD and get somebody to work with you, maybe a health coach, maybe a nutritional therapist, get somebody to work with you to get your metabolic dysfunction under control. I've also got, like I said, my metabolic revamp toolkit, which is everything you need to get started. If you're a self-motivated person, everything you need to get started is in there. If you're not a self-motivated person, at least grab it, learn, and then find somebody to help walk you through the process. But really it comes down to a few things that I'll cover at the end of this. The global prevalence of metabolic associated fatty liver disease was estimated at 25% in 2013, rising from 15% in 2005. And so, you know, we have the most recent data showing it's jumped even further. Obesity and type 2 diabetes coexist in 51 to 60% and up to 70%, 76% of individuals with fatty liver disease. 
respectively. So I'm let me say that again. Obesity and type 2 diabetes coexist in 51 to 60% and up to 76% of individuals with fatty liver disease. So these are driving the fatty liver disease. The peak age group affected is 45 to 62 years old. However, it is also a disease of the older patient with over 40% of people over the age of 60 years affected. So as folks get older, we've talked about this before on past episodes, as we age, we become more metabolically busted by the simple act of aging and inflammation. It's called inflammaging, (laughs) right? And there is this low-grade metabolic syndrome that comes with it no matter how hard you try. And the only way to offset that, in my opinion, is through muscle. And I'll tell you why in a second, but muscle is it. This is why muscle is non-negotiable. The more frail you become as you age, the more inflamed you're going to become, the more insulin resistant you're going to become, and the more metabolically busted you're going to become, and the more fatty liver risk you're going to have. The term MAFLD encompasses all fatty liver disease states, which aligns with the traditional view that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease represents a spectrum of liver disease associated with insulin resistance, starting with pure benign steatosis, which is fatty liver, through to non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, which is the liver inflammation, which is the inflammatory state that can lead to advanced fibrosis or cirrhosis. So they're putting it all under this MAFLD umbrella now. Certain genes and metabolic disorders can contribute. And we know that. We've talked about that. Cirrhosis is the most frequent reason for a the need of a liver transplant. So people either drink themselves or eat themselves and lifestyle induce themselves into their liver, literally scarring up and needing a liver transplant. Very rarely is it like the cause of the cause of it being hepatitis C right? It's, yes, hepatitis C is not uncommon and it will lead to cirrhosis and liver cancer uh, in a majority of people, but actually eating ourselves or drinking ourselves there is more likely the cause of needing liver transplants. So when you hear about people needing liver transplants, maybe they had a bad run with Tylenol. You know, I don't know if you guys know this, but if you have alcohol in your system and you take Tylenol or acetaminophen, you could just have spontaneous liver necrosis. Your liver could literally just melt. And it could be, it's not dose dependent. It could be one drink and one Tylenol. It could be three drinks and six Tylenol. But the way I've seen people dose Tylenol freaks me out. I've been to too many people's houses where I watch them pop a bunch of Tylenol and I'm like, yo, do you even have any idea what dose you're taking? And they're like, no, my knee hurts or my head hurts. I'm just going to take more. The more, the better, right? And I'm like, but you've already had a few drinks. You could have spontaneous liver necrosis. Now that would create a need for a liver transplant for sure. Those people usually die. Their liver just melts. And once it starts, it can't be stopped. That's the problem with the liver. Once a lot of this stuff starts, it's it's very difficult to fix it. Now, if you're on the spectrum of fatty liver all the way up through the steatohepatitis version where you've got the, basically the hepatitis, which is liver inflammation, that's literally what that word means. If you've got that version, you can reverse it. But if you've moved into cirrhosis, that's not reversible, like I said. It doesn't mean people can't live lives with cirrhosis, but they can't bring back the scarred liver tissue 
nearly as well. Yes, liver regenerates, but that's a tough one to come back from. So alcohol, liver disease, which causes damage to the liver due to excessive alcohol consumption is probably the most common reason for the need for a liver transplant. But again, couple that with this metabolic syndrome. Gone are the days of the skinny alcoholic. We used to see a lot of alcoholics that were just really rail thin because they were malnourished and they would, instead of eating, they would drink alcohol. And you'll see that in heavy alcoholics, but there's this new version where there's a lot of either artificial sweeteners getting in or high fructose corn syrup getting in coupled with a garbage food supply that we live in in the fast food. And now we're seeing a lot more of that sort of metabolic syndrome, heavier set person who's uh, potentially struggling with alcoholism and then coupling that with metabolic syndrome. And that's really a disaster waiting to happen. When I was in practice from 2008 to 2020, that's when I was in the bulk of my clinical practice, um, fatty liver, like I said, was completely normalized and it was weird. It was weirdly normalized. And I always wondered what, how were the doctor's livers health that were saying these things? Because I, I would send these folks in for liver ultrasounds and I was surprised at like how non-urgent, even the, when the results came back, the person wasn't concerned, their primary care doctor wasn't concerned, the ultrasound tech wasn't concerned. I'm like, do you guys know, understand that like the progression of this is terrible? <laughs> this is not something that you just come back from unless you are actively pursuing reversing it. So unless it's on your radar and you're actively working to decrease it, it's really problematic and it will progress. And give it, you know, a decade or two and you're in trouble. Although I lost a friend when I was in my early forties, I lost a friend who, who didn't get the liver transplant he needed because he was an alcoholic, but he also fit the bill of that, uh, body habitus of, you know, being overweight. And I don't know what else was involved. I don't know if there was, let's look at Vicodin in my generation, Vicodin drinking with Vicodin was super common when I was young. I don't know if it still is, but Vicodin is an opioid coupled with Tylenol, right? It's acetaminophen and hydrocodone. So people love to slug back a few Vicodin with a few drinks. That is the recipe for disaster when it comes to liver health. And I saw this often. So let's see, what else do I want to tell you? Visceral fat, again, we know we've talked about visceral fat in the past. Visceral fat is that fat that lies underneath the muscle layer of the stomach. That's the fat that surrounds the organs. It's very pro-inflammatory. It's very dangerous to be carrying around. And that's that big belly. This is why that waist circumference measurement is so critical to keep in check. Keep your waist circumference in check. Do not let it creep up. Do not let, let it get out of control. That's going to be your gauge on all of the things on your metabolic health, on your fat, on your liver health, on all of the things, right? And we want to make sure to keep that in check. High fructose corn syrup is another big culprit here. And so people are slugging back a ton of high fructose corn syrup. We have data on that. I don't have the data on the artificial sweeteners. It's just something I saw anecdotally in clinic and I saw it enough. I saw it enough for it to raise some flags for me. So it wasn't like a one-time wonder. It was like, oh, interesting. And these were in every single case, they were all active people. They were all fairly active, healthy people. And you would never have guessed. And I'm like, why are their liver enzymes elevated? Why are their triglycerides elevated? Oh, what, and I would have to sit there and quiz them. What are you eating? What are you drinking? You know, what's going on? And sometimes it was alcohol, but often it was artificial sweeteners in their, 
it was what they were drinking. They were drinking like, like I said, vitamin water. Um, like that was how they drank their water <laughs> it was in the form of vitamin water or it was just Diet Cokes all day long. Something about that artificial sweetener was having an impact and we could break it down. You know, NutraSweet breaks down into wood alcohol and wood alcohol is definitely going to pickle your liver. So, but you know, the health community, especially the keto community really loves their freaking artificial sweeteners and they want to argue about it all day. And the bro science guys love to come at me. The bro science guys with their PhDs and they're like, there's nothing wrong with it. And you're vilifying it and scaring people. And I'm like, okay, well, clinically, this is what I saw. So how many labs have you ran on your patients? You know? So what can you do? Number one, grab my free guide, my Assess Your Metabolic Health Guide. It's free. It's on my website. You can get to it from my Instagram. You can get to it from here on the show notes. Grab that talk to your doctor about what you see there. It's the, again, the parameters for assessing metabolic dysfunction. And then the second thing to do from there is educate yourself. I've got it all gathered into one very inexpensive, easy to navigate set of cheat sheets, guides, toolkits. It's the metabolic revamp toolkit. You can find that on my website and on the show notes as well. Number three, strength train. This is why I say strength training and muscle are non-negotiable. I don't care how old you are or young you are. You have to be lifting weights several times a week. It's not the exercise specifically. Yes, exercise is great for you. Exercise in any form, moving your body, sweating is great for you. The act of contracting muscles, well-trained skeletal muscles, actively contracting them sets off a cascade, a biochemical cascade that is unmatched and is absolutely critical for mitigating and modulating your metabolic health, your mitochondrial function, your insulin resistance, propensity or keeping insulin resistance away, I should say, your cellular biochemistry, your engine. It is, you have to actually contract skeletal muscle to set off these cascades. So these are mechanisms that only happen through strength training and without getting all nerdy on you. And I'll do that in another episode. I'll break down the whole pathway for you if you want. But long story short, you have to be strength training. It's absolutely critical to have muscle on you, well-trained skeletal muscle. One of the most prominent and studied mechanisms of fatty liver is insulin resistance. And insulin resistance cannot be overcome without muscle mass. I firmly believe that. You can keto and diet your way, low carb diet your way into a thin phenotype, but you're just going to end up, your body composition is what matters here. If you're obese and you keto and low carb your way down to a smaller version, let's say you started out as 20%, 30%, 50% muscle. I'm just giving you this is not accurate, <laughs> but I'm just giving you general ideas. Let, let's just say half and half. Let's say you were half fat, half muscle or lean tissue. When you shrink down, I don't care how you got there. When you shrink down, you're still going to be half and half. What we want is a huge amount of muscle mass and a very small amount of fat. So unless you strength train, you can't change the composition any. And this is so important to understand that I'm going to repeat it. I don't care if you lose a ton of weight. That's awesome. That's great because fat itself is super inflammatory and not good for you. Adip adipocytes and the chemicals they secrete, adipokines, are so pro-inflammatory and so bad for your health overall. But this is this is why Ozempic and drugs like Ozempic, GLP-1, agonist, which I'm going to do a whole episode on, which I think honestly, and if used appropriately, are miracle peptides. 
But the reason that we're seeing the problems that we're seeing is because people aren't strength training. People are just shrinking and their crummy body composition is just shrinking into the same crummy body composition. And so they're simply becoming a smaller version of what they already were, which isn't really that helpful. If you are using any tool to lose weight and you're not offsetting the weight loss with strength training, you're just going to become a smaller version of that already kind of crummy, non-ideal body composition. So we want to shift our body composition from one of mostly fat and some lean muscle mass and, you know, bones and other lean tissue to one of high muscle mass. And the only way to do that is through strength training. But again, the act of contracting skeletal muscle and having healthy skeletal muscle on our body and using that skeletal muscle not only offsets insulin resistance in ways that I can't even, it, it would just blow your mind how how effective it is. There is this concept called hepatic de novo lipogenesis, which is the biochemical process of synthesizing fatty acids from acetyl-CoA subunits that are produced from a number of different pathways within the cell, most commonly carbohydrate catabolism. And that whole pathway is intimately related to insulin resistance and it's all offset by muscle. So I'll leave it with that. That's how important muscle is. We can't have the pathways working and we can't have de novo lipogenesis and hepatocytes working optimally and not overdoing it. That's how we get fatty liver is that de novo lipogenesis. We can't have that system in check without skeletal muscle. Again, cut out the high fructose corn syrup, cut out the booze, cut out the ultra processed carbohydrates. I don't know how many carbohydrates you can eat. That is completely individual and it's up to you and your healthcare professional to figure out based on your labs and based on your response to the efforts that you're having. Uh, don't just follow somebody on Instagram and don't just follow exactly what I'm saying. And this is individualized care and it's really important. If you do have fatty liver, if you are struggling with excess weight, if you are struggling with insulin resistance, it's really important that you work with somebody. Lose weight get your waist circumference down. I know it's easier said than done. I'm going to do a whole episode on GLP-1 agonists, you guys, because I'm semaglutide and terzepatide. I've been knee deep in the research and I'm blown away with how amazing these drugs can be if used correctly and done appropriately. They're just not being done appropriately. And this is where we're getting this big divide of people saying, oh, it's garbage. It's not the solution. If you're 40, 50, 100 pounds overweight or more, Let's give you a leg up, right? Like I'm a big fan of using what we need to use to kickstart the process, but let's do it right. So I'm going to talk about that in an upcoming episode. Definitely, if you're dealing with fatty liver or any liver issues, stop taking Tylenol. Stop. Don't take Tylenol ever again. I I cannot remember the last time I had a Tylenol. I avoid it at all costs. It's a, it's, In my opinion, it's an incredibly dangerous drug. It is responsible for a massive amount of liver failures in this country. I don't think it should be over the counter. I think it's an incredibly dangerous drug. Avoid stressors to your liver like other drugs. So talk to your doctor about some pharmaceuticals or you can look it up yourself. Go to drug, I think it's drug.com, drugs.com. And you can look up your drugs. You can even Google and find out what the impact is on your liver or what nutrients are they depleting? You should know what you're taking and you should know what it's doing to your body. But I will tell you statin drugs in particular, some of the older generation statin drugs, really, really, really heavy on the liver. Bad news on the liver, not great. And then sometimes we're taking drugs which are inhibiting 
liver pathways, liver clearance pathways, detox pathways. And then we're doing other things like drinking alcohol or maybe we're hairdressers and we're being exposed to a lot of chemicals in our day-to-day, or maybe we're textile workers or who who knows? I mean, this is real stuff, you guys. And we're overloading our liver system that way. And it's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that, maybe the occasional Tylenol and a couple drinks, and maybe we're packing on a few too many pounds. We've got a little bit of insulin resistance. All of that is going to culminate into big problems, potentially. Listen to episode six with my good friend, Dr. John Kim of this episode six of this podcast, go way back to episode six. We talk all about statins. Walk after meals. That's going to help your metabolic health significantly. It's going to help get bile flowing. It's going to help with a lot of things. So I'm a big fan of walking after meals, particularly high carbohydrate meals. Keep your alcohol intake low. I already mentioned cut boost. Strength train, please If you do anything, start strength training. It is the best thing you can start doing for your health. It's the best investment you can make. Hire a coach if you need to. I've got a whole strength corner for you inside of my Resiliency University private membership portal. You guys can access that via the show notes or via my website and I can get you started for sure. And I hope you'll come join me in there because I'm dropping workouts. There's plenty of them in there. There's tutorials you got to start strength training. You got to start somewhere. And that's what those workouts are designed for. They're really basic and they're for everyone. No matter what level you're at, they're for everyone. But if you really want to start lifting heavy weights, get with a coach, have somebody help you so you don't hurt yourself. And then remember that COVID can induce liver inflammation. That's a big one. This is a big side effect. And if you're already rocking a fatty liver, an inflamed liver, some kind of liver dysfunction due to poor metabolic health or and or excess alcohol usage, adding insult to injury can be very problematic. I know a thin, healthy, fit woman who didn't fit that bill at all. She's a doctor. She's metabolically sound. She's very healthy. She exercises all the time. She had very severe uh, liver issues with early COVID when it first hit the scene and very, very uh, devastating experience. She came out of it, thank God, because the liver has the opportunity to regenerate. But if you're I I think a lot of the reason people are having troubles is because they're sitting in this low-grade chronic inflammation, metabolic syndrome, obese state. We know that. We know those are the comorbidities. But then on top of it, they're rocking a fatty liver and they walk into COVID and it's really, really challenging on them. And so we don't We don't want that to happen to you. We want to be prepared as we go into winter. And it's not because I'm scared of COVID or this new strain by any means. I talked about that last episode. You can listen to it. It's because upper respiratory season is upper respiratory season and viruses do funny things inside the body, especially inside of an inflamed body. So that's what I'll leave you with. I hope that's helpful. That's my major breakdown of fatty liver and the massive epidemic that I believe it to be. And I hope you guys will take heed to my warning and go get yourself checked out. Make sure that your doctor fully assesses you. They can do so through lab work, through some imaging. Um, And really, again, if you just fit that bill, I would assume that you would have it and start living the kind of lifestyle that's going to be contrary to that, that's going to get you in good health. So I will bid you adieu. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you have questions or insight for the podcast, you can email us at podcast at drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A.com. And please head to your favorite podcast player. I like Spotify. I really love if you'll do this on Apple Podcasts because that's where we get the most reach and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so that 
that you guys can be notified. You can also subscribe to my Substack, which is where I host the podcast and I have blogs there. I have blog posts about health and all kinds of things. That's my uncensored uh, blog and podcast area. And you guys can subscribe there and you'll get emailed when a new episode is released. So I will bid you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Do you suffer from IBS or other digestive issues? Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? From the producer of The Dr. Tina Show comes the all-new health and nutrition podcast, Digest This, hosted by Bethany Ugardi. You may know Bethany as the face of the popular Instagram page, Lil Sipper, or you may have even read her book. Now you can find her wherever you get your podcasts. On Digest This, Bethany examines topics such as gut health, nutrition, the food industry, and highlights specific ingredients that can be beneficial or harmful to your gut health. She also explores non-toxic options in beauty, home, and cooking essentials. If it has to do with your health, Digest This is talking about it. Each episode features an interview with health experts, doctors, and wellness advocates and delivers you information that is... Well, easy to digest. Bethany also delivers a weekly segment every episode called Bite of Knowledge, where she highlights an ingredient commonly used in food, skin care, household cleaning, you name it, and gives you the lowdown on the benefits or dangers that ingredient might have in your everyday life. From Botox, potassium, olive oil, and magnesium, all the way to those ingredients you can barely pronounce on the back of your cereal boxes, Bethany has you covered. There's a reason why it debuted at number two on Apple Podcast Nutrition Charts. Check out Digest This on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.